We are continuing our study in our book series, Joshua Set Foot on the Road Never Traveled. Before we begin, let's have a quick recap and review. Joshua can be divided into three sections. The first part is entering the promised land in chapters 2 to 5. The second part is conquering the promised land, chapters 6 to 12. And the third part is dividing the promised land, chapters 13 to 22. And here is the more detailed outline of the third part, dividing the promised land. Chapter 13 is the summary of instructions. Then 14 to 19, dividing the land west of the Jordan River. And then chapter 20, the cities of refuge. Chapter 21, the cities of Levites. And then chapter 22, dividing the land east of Jordan. And today we'll focus on chapter 20, the cities of refuge. And we will be using our outline today to better understand this. We will answer these questions. What? Why? Who? How? Where? And so what? So together, let us learn Israel's places of safety. Now first, here's the question. What? Joshua chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Joshua, Now tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed Moses. What are these cities of refuge? You see, our story begins with God commanding Joshua to assign places to serve as cities of refuge. God told Joshua that he was, he already talked about this with Moses. And these are the cities that God would want Joshua to assign. And this happened a few years before. We find that recorded in Numbers 35. It says here, While the Israelites were camped beside the Jordan on the plains of Moab across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, you see, God gave this instruction to Moses right before the Israelites entered the promised land. So by the time Joshua received this reminder, it was about um, more than seven years. And what was the command? It says in verse 2 to 3, The Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to give the Levites from their property certain towns to live in along with the surrounding pasture lands. And these towns will be for the Levites to live in and the surrounding lands will provide pasture for the cattle, flocks, and other livestock. You see, after Israel conquered the promised land, God divided the land and gave it all away to the tribes of Israel. And he divided it according to their size. But except one tribe, one tribe did not receive any part of the land. And this tribe is the tribe of Levi. They were not given a land or a region where they can used like the other tribes. Instead, the Levites were given a, a different kind of property. Why? Because the Levites were priests of the Lord and their duty is to fully represent God and minister to the whole nation. And so that is why they were scattered all across Israel. But of course, they needed some place to live in with their families. And so God commanded Moses to give them 48 towns or cities all across the land. And so it says in Numbers 35, verses 6 to 7. Six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge. In all 48 towns, the surrounding pasture land will be given to the Levites. The Levites did not receive any land, but they were given 48 cities. And out of these 48 cities, six cities or towns will be assigned as cities of refuge. And Moses faithfully passed down these instructions to the first and second generation of the Israelites. And we can read this in Numbers chapter 35 and Deuteronomy 19. Now, what's the purpose of these cities? Let's go to the next question. Why? Look at Numbers 35 verses 6 to 7. 
six of the towns she will give the Levites will be cities of refuge where a person who accidentally killed someone can flee for safety. That was God's instruction to Moses. And so Moses repeated this instruction to Joshua and God reminded also Joshua about this command. And so in Joshua 20 verses 3 to 4, Anyone who kills another person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of these cities and they will be places of refuge from relatives seeking revenge for the person who was killed. 20 verse 9. Anyone who accidentally killed another person could take refuge. Why is there a city of refuge? So that anyone who kills someone accidentally and unintentionally can find protection and be safe. Now the question is safe from whom? Joshua 20 verse 3 tells us, safe from this particular person, the blood avenger. Verse 3, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. They will be places of refuge from relatives seeking revenge for the person who was killed. In ancient Israel, they practiced this custom, the avenger of blood. When someone was killed, that person's relative both had the right and the responsibility to avenge the death of their loved one. Specifically, the nearest male relative becomes the avenger of blood and to take revenge on behalf of the victim's family. The avenger of blood is given the task to hunt down the killer to execute justice. I remember my classmate in seminary. He was from the Manoba tribe in Mindanao. And uh, two years ago, his father was hit by a motorcycle and died. And so his relatives wanted to avenge the father's death by killing the driver. Because that is how it works in their tribe. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. They say, if you kill my family member, I will kill yours. That is as simple as that. But the good thing that my classmate is also a follower of Christ. He is a Christian and he doesn't want this continuous killing to happen. And so together with some of the tribal chiefs or the Datus, they mediated and made an amicable settlement to prevent further bloodshed. Now the point is, the avenger of blood, especially in the different tribes, they are still enforced today. Now let's go back to our passage. When someone is killed by another, there are two possibilities. The killing could be either intentional or unintentional. And the Old Testament law handles each differently. Look at this chart. One is murder, the other is accidental killing. For murder, the law of Moses can be found in Numbers 35 with the following verses in Deuteronomy 19. And for the murder, the motive is intentional and premeditated. It means it is planned. There's really a master plan to kill someone. And the verdict for this is that the killer is guilty and he or she deserves to die. And this applies to both Israelites and foreigners. But how about the accidental killing? The law of Moses is found in 35 with, Numbers 35 with the following verses and Deuteronomy 19 verses 1 to 7. Now the motive is different from murder. In murder, it's, an, it's, from murder, it's intentional and pre-planned. But here in accidental killing, it's unintentional. It's accidental. And so the verdict, the alleged killer is not guilty. In other words, the alleged killer is innocent and he or she does not deserve to die. And this law applies to Israelites and the foreigners. And so Moses gave examples of scenarios under this category. And here is one example in Deuteronomy 19 verse 5. 
For example, suppose someone goes into the forest with a neighbor to cut wood. And suppose one of them swings an axe to chop down a tree and the axe head flies off the handle, killing the other person. In such cases, the slayer may flee to one of the cities of refuge to live in safety. Now, we answer that question, what and the why? And so we go to the next question, the who. Who can avail of the protection offered by the cities of refuge? As the earlier verse tells us, someone who killed that person accidentally. We can also read this in Joshua chapter 20, verses 3 to 4. Anyone who kills another person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of these cities. Again, the motive should be accidental and unintentional. There should be no premeditated plan to kill someone. And who else can avail of this protection? Not only the people of Israel, but also the foreigners and those who travel along the country. The cities were set apart for all the Israelites as well as the foreigners living among them. The cities are for the protection of the Israelites, foreigners living among you, and traveling merchants. Anyone, again, who accidentally kills someone may flee there for safety. This benefit of the cities of refuge is not only limited to the people of Israel, but to all of people, whether you're an Israelite or non-Israelite. Now here's the point, no matter where you are, where you came from, you are welcome into the city. You see, in some countries today, there's one law for their citizens and a different one for non-citizens. But in contrast, this law applies to all without partiality. At least here in our text, this law in Israel applies to all without partiality. Why? Because it reflects God's character. You see, God is the God of justice and his justice applies to all without partiality. Now, after answering the question, who? Let's go to the next, how? How does the city of refuge work and what can people expect? First, the city of refuge offer a fair trial, especially to the accused person who killed someone unintentionally. Joshua verses four of chapter 20. Upon reaching one of the cities, the one who caused death will appear before the elders at the city gate and present his case. But the slayer must stay in that city and be tried by the local assembly, which will render a judgment. Anyone who accidentally killed another person could take refuge in one of these cities. In this way, they could escape being killed in revenge prior to standing trial before the local assembly. You see, the elders of the city functioned as the local judges. And one of their primary responsibilities is to hear the case of the accused party and then render judgment. You see, the city of refuge would protect the person until he or she is tried before the local assembly. They would want to know whether that person is guilty or not, what were the motives, what were the circumstances behind the incident or the killing, and if the party is innocent or guilty and they would render the necessary judgment. Now, if the accused party is innocent, then he or she can be protected. But the point is, all those accused would be given a chance to present their case and to defend themselves, to explain what happened, and to, to prove that the killing was unprovoked and it was not an act of revenge. And there is the process that they want to explain uh, their side and defend themselves. Now, the same principle applies in our court systems today. An accused person is innocent until proven guilty, and the accused party was given due process to present his or her case. Now, how about us? How about in our homes? How about in our communities? Maybe 
we can reflect on how we provide this similar due process. Parents, do you also offer this due process to your kids before you discipline your children? Do you offer them the due process to explain themselves and what were the motives behind their actions? And how about in our places of work and business? How do we uphold fairness? How do we protect the innocent and deal with those at fault? May God help us as we try to reflect more on these things and apply it in our lives. Next, it also gives safety and protection for the innocent. The cities of refuge gives a place of safety and protection. After the trial, the elders would then proceed this way. It says here in verse 4, The one who caused the death will appear before the elders at the city gate and present his case. They must allow him to enter the city and give him a place to live among them. If the relatives of the victim come to avenge the killing, the leaders must not release the slayer to them. For he killed the other person unintentionally without previous hostility. The slayer must continue to live in that city until the death of the high priest who was in office at the time of the accident. And after that, he is free to return to his own home in the town from which he fled. You see, after the accused is cleared from the charges of intentional killing, he would be given asylum or protective custody. He would be allowed to stay in the city of refuge to enjoy protection from the avenger of blood. And according to Jewish writings, the people will be given safe place to live in. And also, the citizens of that place will help this person uh, learn some trades so that he or she would be helped to support themselves. And so this is very important because these people, since they are innocent, they do not deserve to die. Now, why is this important? It's to prevent the shedding of innocent blood. You see, God doesn't want innocent people to die. Why? Because murder and killing of the innocent pollutes the land. As God said in these verses, Deuteronomy 19, verse 10, and Numbers 35, that way you will prevent the death of innocent people in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. You will not be held responsible for the death of innocent people. Verse 33, this will ensure that the land where you live will not be polluted for murder pollutes the land and no sacrifice except the execution of the murderer can purify the land from murder. You must not defile the land where you live, for I live there myself. I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. Now here's the point. God uses the city of refuge to protect the innocent. Why? Because God is the just and righteous God who protects the innocent. Now you may ask, how about his responsibility? He killed the person. He affected the family of that person who died accidentally. He should be punished. Yes, he should be punished, and, but the punishment is not death penalty as God intended it. His punishment is actually being exiled in that city. You see that person who accidentally killed someone, he is not free to, to leave that city or else he could be killed by the avenger of blood. And he has to stay in that city of refuge for, for a long time. And so he would be far away from his own family on his own property and his life would also change. And in God's sight, that is more than enough um, penalty for the incident that happened. And so again, the point is, God is the just and righteous God who protects the innocent. Now, since God is the just and righteous God, he also punishes the guilty. Deuteronomy 19, 11 to 13. 
But suppose someone is hostile toward a neighbor and deliberately ambushes and murders him and then flees to one of the cities of refuge. In that case, the elders of the murderer's hometown must send agents to the city of refuge to bring him back and hand him over to the dead person's avenger to be put to death. Do not feel sorry for that murderer. Purge from Israel the guilt of murdering innocent people, then all will go well with you. Again, God is the just and righteous God who not only protects the innocent, but also punishes the guilty. So dear church, let us think about our life. Let us reflect, how can we display or reflect God's character of justice and righteousness in our er everyday life? How can we make our homes, our workplaces, and our communities be places of safety? May God help us. Next, let's answer the question where. Where are the cities of refuge? The following cities were designated as cities of refuge. Kadesh of Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan River, across from Jericho, the following cities were designated. Bezer in the wilderness plain of the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead, in the territory of the tribe of God, and Golan in Bashan, in the land of the tribe of Manasseh. Now to appreciate this text better, let us look at the cities on this map. And here are some characteristics of the cities of refuge. First, these are cities of Levites. You see, the Levites were in charge of these cities and God gave Levites 48 towns all in all. But six out of those 48 towns become cities of refuge. And God gave the Levite the task to ensure in enforcing God's principles of justice, righteousness, and fairness all across the land. And next, the cities of refuge were strategically located. Notice that these cities were scattered throughout the land. Three are on the west side of the Jordan River and three are on the east side of the Jordan River. Two cities are up north, two cities at the middle, and two are in the south of Israel. And in addition, these cities were built in prominent places. They were located in high areas to be easily seen from long distances. Now, the cities of refuge were also accessible. According to Jewish writings, the roads leading to the cities were kept wide and well-maintained. After winter or rainy season, the Levites would repair the roads, remove obstructions, and fix the road signs to make it easy for travelers. And from anywhere you are, kahit saan ka man magaling, you could reach one of these cities in one to two days. Why? Again, it's to protect the life of the innocent and to prevent further shedding of the blood. As Deuteronomy 19.6 tells us, if the distance to the nearest city of refuge is too far, an enraged avenger might be able to chase down and kill the person who caused the death, and that would become murder. Then the slayer would die unfairly since he had never shown hostility toward the person who died. And not only that, the cities of refuge is readily available. It is open 24-7. The cities were the only cities in Israel whose gates were never locked up. They are open 24-7 to give protection anytime to those who are in need, especially for those who are seeking refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, after learning about these things on the city of refuge, the what, the why, the how, the where, the who, the next question is, so what? How is this relevant for us today? What lesson can we learn? 
You see, God himself commanded Moses and then Joshua to set up the cities of refuge. And by doing so, these places of safety teaches us about God. And these are the three things that we can learn and apply. First, God is righteous and just. Earlier, we've mentioned that God is the just and righteous God who protects the innocent but punishes the guilty. And not only that, this text shows us that God is protector. God is protector. You see, God himself prepared the cities of refuge years before they settled in the land and for the purpose of protecting the people, especially the innocent. And interestingly, the names of the cities have these significant meanings. Look at this chart. These are the names of the cities of refuge and their respective meanings. Kedesh means sanctuary. Shechem means shoulder. Hebron means community, fellowship, or friendship. Golan means rejoicing. Ramoth means heights or uplifted. And Bezer means fortress or defense. These are beautiful names that point us to God's character. And as the psalmist tells us, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. The point is God is our protector and God wants you to be, to trust in him. God wants you to rely on him to go to him and ask for his protection. The question is, what will be your response? Where will you run if you needed help? Remember, God is our protector and he is just waiting for us to run to him. So may God help us. And the third, God is merciful. God is merciful. Now to appreciate God's mercy, imagine yourself one of those Israelites who accidentally killed your friend. Imagine you were out in the forest to get some wood and as you swing your axe, the axe head detaches from the handle and kills your friend and instantly you became a killer and your hands are tainted with blood and your soul is filled with guilt and shame and as you stare at your friend's bleeding and lifeless body, you try to hug him hoping it will bring him back to life but sadly he's dead and it's because of your own hands that killed your friend. You've done a terrible thing and now you face its terrible consequences. But your troubles does not end there. As you carry your friend's lifeless body back to town, you accept the reality that there's no use in saying, I'm sorry, it's just an accident. And now you're imagining how the news would devastate the dead man's family. How will you face the widow? How will you face the children of your dead friend? How will you face the people around you in your community, even your own family? You see, the family of your friend will hate you. They will expect, and you can expect revenge from the family and they would demand it. And people would look down on you and they would ask that you'd be punished. And if possible, that you die as well. You see, this is the problem that you are facing if you are that person who killed someone accidentally. But amidst this trouble, God extends his mercy to you. You may have killed someone, but since this is an accident, then you're innocent and God won't demand your life as a payment for that. That's the mercy of God. But then you may say, Pastor Jen, I have not killed anyone, so I don't need God's mercy. Yes, you may 
say that you have not killed anyone and that that's true. But in reality, you and I need God's grace and mercy more than we realize. And I'll explain that in a while. You see, we will have Holy Week in a few days from now, and it's to commemorate the great love and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for what reason? You see, Jesus rescued us from eternal death, and he is the one who extended God's grace and mercy to us. And so this is something that God invites us to consider. You see, in the time of Joshua, God provided the cities of refuge to the Israelites and non-Israelites. For what reason? Again, to display his righteousness, his justice, and his mercy. And in the same way, the cities of refuge in Joshua were a type of Christ. Meaning, this, there are certain things about the cities of refuge that beautifully points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. They tell us the good news of the gospel. Now, in what way? You see, the cities of refuge, they are available to all citizens of Israel and the foreigners. And for the Lord Jesus, Christ offers a refuge to anyone who will come to him. No matter who you are, whether you're a Chinese, you're a Filipino, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're educated or not, Christ welcomes everyone and he invites you to come to him. Now, the cities of refuge is easily accessible and the requirement is you need to stay and enter within the city of refuge. And as for the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in the past, you can experience the salvation that Christ offers. You see, Jesus is just waiting for you to come. And the requirement, you need to turn away from your sins and surrender your life to Christ. Now the question is, will you repent? And will you entrust your life to Christ? Will you let him be your eternal refuge? Next, the cities of refuge, there's no alternative to avoid death. The person has to stay within that city of refuge. And as for the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our only way to be saved from eternal death. There's no other option. And also the cities of refuge, the innocent people can find safety within these cities of refuge. But here's the beauty of those who could go to our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to be innocent. All of us, guilty people, we can run to Jesus to receive pardon of sins and protection from God's eternal wrath and judgment. You see, none of us are innocent as we would want to believe. All of us have fallen short of God's high standard of righteousness. That is what the Bible clearly says. And that's what we studied back then in Romans when we had our book study a few months ago. And that made, in that reality that we are guilty, that we have fallen short of God's high standard, that made us guilty of sin. And because we are guilty sinners, God has every right to execute his judgment on us. And God has every right to condemn us to eternal death in hell. That's the bad news. But here's the good news, that God, out of his love, his mercy, and grace, he made a way to rescue us. How? In God's mercy, Christ took the punishment that we deserve. You see, at the cross, Jesus bore our sin, guilt, and shame. And Christ died the death that you and I deserve. That's the grace of God. But here is something else that is beautiful. In the Old Testament law, it says that killing and shedding of innocent blood will bring about curse upon the land. However, 
at the cross of Christ, Christ, an innocent and perfect man, he died on the cross and shed his innocent blood. And instead of a curse, his death brought about blessing to many. Instead of the land receiving curse, the death of Christ brought about blessing to many. Redemption from our sins, reconciliation between God and men, and eventually restoration of God's creation. That is the grace of God. That is the wisdom of God. And that is the power of God. And for those who surrender their life to Christ, God declares them innocent and he protects them from his eternal wrath and judgment. And what happens when God declares you innocent? What do we receive? We receive freedom and protection and we receive the eternal security. And here's other examples of that in the city of refuge. The death of the high priest gives us freedom. And then the Lord Jesus Christ he is our great high priest. And when he died, his death brought freedom, freedom from sin and eternal death. That is one of the blessings that we receive. Not only that, in the city of refuge, people receive protection from the wrath of the avenger. But through Christ our Lord, all of us who would put our faith in him, we receive eternal security in God's presence. And Christ is our eternal city of refuge. And he he will be with us and we will be with him forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the good news. This is the mercy of God. This is the grace of God. So let us remember. And now as God's people today, here's the question for us. How can our church be a church community that is like a city of refuge? That is another application that I want us to think about. How can our church be a church of refuge. Think about it. You see, Mahatma Gandhi was considered as one of the 20th century's most significant political and spiritual leaders. And his nonviolent activism and resistance helped end British rule in India. And so he is honored in India as the father of the nation. But while Gandhi was a practicing Hindu, he was intrigued by Christianity. When he read the Bible and read the Gospels, Gandhi was impressed by Jesus, whom Christians worshipped and follow. And so he wanted to know more about Jesus. So one day he made this decision to visit one of the Christian churches in Calcutta, India. And so when he tried to enter the church sanctuary, he was suddenly stopped at the door by the ushers and the ushers told him that he was not welcome. They said to Gandhi that he was not permitted to attend church. Why? He asked. They said it was because the church is for the high caste Indians and white people only. Meaning, Gandhi was not white, was not rich, he was not influential, and he does not belong to the upper social class. So he couldn't be allowed to enter. That was the thing that he heard. And because of that rejection, Mahatma Gandhi turned his back on Christianity. This is a sad story. And here's what he said. I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And he added, I'd be a Christian if it were not for Christians. This is a sad story. But again, dear brothers and sisters, think about your life and how we do church. Are we making it difficult for people to come to Jesus? Are we, making, are, are we hindering people so that they could know the Lord? in the way we do our church, in the way we do things, in our words, in our actions, and even our attitudes. 
as we gather together as the people of God. Again, here's the question for us. As God's people today, how can our church be a church of refuge? Now, instead of giving you answers, allow me to leave with you these questions to reflect on further. How can we make our church a safe space? How can our church be a place where people, the weary and the worn, the bruised and the broken, the unlovely and the unloved, can find refuge? How can we make CBCP a place of protection that keeps out threats where enemies cannot intrude and where people feel secure? How can our groups be places of safety for the innocent, the falsely accused, and the unjustly rejected? So may God help us. Again, dear brothers and sisters, imagine what would it look like that if starting today, your homes and our church becomes places of safety become places of refuge as God intended them to be. Imagine how many lives and families we will reach and transform through the gospel by the grace of God. Imagine the impact that we will have in our community, in our country, for the glory of God. May God, our refuge, help us and empower us to fully obey him for his glory. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the story, for this chapter in Joshua about the city of refuge. Thank you for reminding us that indeed you are the God who is a just and righteous God, that you protect the innocent, that you are the just God who punishes the, the wicked and the guilty. So Father, help us to live a life that reflects your character, that honors your name. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for many times that we have forgotten your goodness, your grace, that we ourselves were once rebellious, that we are underserving of your love, that we, in our own way, we want to be autonomous, to be away from you we, and, and live our own life. But Father, in your mercy and grace, you have been gracious to us. You have been patient with us. And so you've called us and made a way to come to know you and to respond to you. Father, help us to once more rededicate our life to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. And as we move towards the Holy Week in a few days from now, help us to be reminded of your great love and sacrifice, the high cost that you paid for us so that we can be reconciled back to you, that we can be restored to you and to each other, and that we could experience the fullness of your love as we as you promised to be with us, and next time we will be with you face to face for all eternity. Thank you so much. And Father, continue to help us as we live our life as, as one church and as one family. Help us to be faithful. Help us to really reflect as a church. May our church be places of safety. Help us to be sensitive to those who are in need. Help us to be sensitive to the ways that you want us to move and how we treat people and how we reach out, especially to those in need, to those last, to the least, and to the lost. May, may you empower us to be like our Lord Jesus and may people see in us that we are salt and light for you, for the glory and honor of your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for today. May your presence go with us. Now, brothers and sisters, as you bow your heads, receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen and Amen. Thank you once again for joining us. May God empower us and may His presence be with us as we face another week. God bless us all.